Good morning. Today we will be talking about the passion according to Helena Sassois, who is more of like more of a niche French philosopher who speaks about philosophy from a very um from like a feminist point of view. I learned about Helena Sassois not really through like my standard means of learning about a text or an author, which is usually like it's being referenced by another text or author. But um, or it was being uh, told to be told to me by like one of my really close friends. But this this one kind of came about by um, someone more new entering our circle at the time and telling us about this philosopher. Which honestly, a lot of times when people do that, I kind of like write it off. But this time, like we all kind of got together and like read it and talked about it. And honestly, like it was such an amazing read. Also, the person who recommend it isn't so magically inclined as much as they are philosophically inclined, but I still think it's like an insanely good read, The Passion According to Siswa. People may be wondering who is Siswa, but like in an introduction from another book I've read of hers called The Book of Promethea. And basically, the um, the person introducing the book, known as Betsy Wing, who is also the translator of this book, says Siswa was born in Algeria and became an English professor at the University of Paris, and she is best known for her writings on feminist theory. A lot of her works, a lot of the, her works, they take a very um, spiritual and personal narrative which I think works wonders and a lot of it um a lot of her works also talk about the divinity of women through the manifestation of love her writing frequently goes between the lines of fiction non-fiction spiritual and she also like weaves and reference a lot of imagery that she sees with in her dreams which a lot of um book of pro uh pro, sorry I always mess it up of the book that um is referenced Betsy Wing says that um as it relates to Promethea is that she picks apart certain structures that conceptualize femininity which designed to keep women in place and I think it also is a big part of this text as well um for this text, like just before we get into it, it does reference a lot of um, polarities and ideas of like the divine feminine, and a lot of and a lot of um, and a lot of that reference through Christian texts, which I know a lot of um, Christian texts as it uh, goes into Genesis. I feel like a lot of that can be misrepresented misrepresented in very harmful ways and she goes through and speaks about it in a very nice and eloquent way so now before we talk about things that um represent the two polarities of both a divine feminine and divine masculine i got a collection of quotes from a totally different book that has basically nothing to do with this to um better describe it in more of an artistic way. So this collection of quotes isn't from uh, The Passion, but it's from 
The Second Sex by Simone de Beauvoir. And it starts off the introduction with a quote from Pythagoras, right? And the quote goes, There is a good principle that created order, light, and man, and a bad principle that created chaos, darkness, and women. And then it's followed by a quote by Poulain de Labert, I think. Everything that has been written by men about women should be viewed with suspicion because they are both judge and party. Now, I think it is important to say that Pythagoras was a very um, influential philosopher. And I think generally when talking about those two things in that way, he is referencing like the divine polarity or the two divine pillars that represent both men and women. And it would be, you know, ignorant for me not to point it out because I'm aware of it. But, you know, I think it should, we should also note that no one person is entirely male or female and we all possess traits of both, which is why I think studying the importance and the nuances of Baphomet and other similar entities such as hermaphroditus is incredibly important. It is also important to note that the occult feminine or the divine feminine does represent the shadow, like the dark side of the moon, right? The dark, the part of the moon that's not immediately illuminated by the sun, right? It's also important to note that feminine entities and feminine occult symbol symbolism is much more powerful and much more deeper and layered than it's usually portrayed in modern occult philosophy. Um, a lot of modern practitioners or some practitioners may um, depict a divine feminine as something very docile or something very soft, but honestly, it's very far from like the true nature of, of the extent that it can manifest in. I think a good book that portrays this and portrays the um, almost bastardization of divine feminine over the, the, the eras is The Red Goddess, which is a book by Peter Gray. And it's a good example of like the extent of which divine femininity can actually manifest and how it can so easily be distorted. The book is also very, very much 18 plus, but basically they're basically um, the two divine, the feminine masculine represent two polarities and many times divine feminine represents much darker aspects which is, you know, important to know when referencing this quote. Now in reference to the second quote, everything that, that has been written by men about women should be viewed with suspicion because they are both judge and party, I believe, can be taken in very many different senses, such as it's hard to talk about someone's way of reality or way of existence when they're simply just an outside observer, right? But in context to this text and how I really like felt inclined to add these two quotes in as they relate to the passion according to Siswa is the bastardization of feminine of the divine feminine and occult or magical spaces. And also like the bastardization of it and more mundane spiritual practices, like a lot of um a lot of sects of the Christian church, they kind of like, um, <laughs> they kind of um, take Genesis and they're like, oh, a woman, 
ate fruit from the tree from the tree of evil and now we are like subjected to sin however being however the whole story is much more nuanced and much more complicated and it's more like a reference of um divine consciousness in men generally so it's i think these quotes are really important to consider and many different ways when it comes to many different realities and many different books and um many different occult or spiritual medias that we consume so so now to enter the world of siswa the passion according to siswa starts off with genesis genesis 27 2 17 genesis 3 6 to 8 and genesis 3 22 and these basically go over the um, the lore, I guess, of like the tree of knowledge or the tree of evil and how um, eventually Eve took a bite of the apple. And since then, we were introduced to evil, sin, whatever. But there's a very interesting quote, which will be referenced throughout the chapter that says, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall die. Death, or like, I guess in French it's like le petit mort, there's um, references of small deaths or references of death period in occult or French occult spaces is very important because I guess le petit mort also means to... Um, it has many different meanings, but in an occult sense, I think small deaths or deaths in general, it basically just alludes to change. So when we think about change or uh, biting into um, the apple from the tree of evil, essentially, we've become more aware. So another quote from this is that as as humans, once women bought once uh, Eve bit into the fruit, humans realized that they were naked and that they were, in fact, ashamed of some of their lower qualities or more animalistic qualities. And that is very much like a human thing to do. It comes with the divine conscious acknowledgement of lower aspects, especially in contrast to higher ones, do um, kind of come with the... <laughs> with the trauma of being human and having that kind of understanding. And continuing on, basically, when they're talking about death in this passage, they're in, by no means referencing like a literal death. It's the death that comes from um, the gain of knowledge and wisdom, which can be scary, but in the end you gain better awareness of self, which is very crucial to being a practitioner of any kind. Basically, this story is how humans gain divine consciousness, starting with women. The birth of human consciousness is what grew us apart from animals. Man is generally regarded as a religious animal, not because the divine only impacts us, but because we are given the knowledge or we're given a shred of understanding to see small, the divine in very small fractions or very small, very small pieces. I also think it's important to note that um, I think it's very important to note that death has many different meanings in occult spaces. So like 
I would try and look at the text itself and see what it's alluding to before jumping the gun that like death means um like a permanent like death death does indicate like a permanent change however it does um not mean you're just gonna fall over and die (laughs) the next text is um the next line I wrote says, before you become a woman, you are myopic. And then you gain the ability to see throughout your life. However, some never do. Myopic means lacking imagination or intellectual knowledge. I think, I generally think people are in a state of like, people think that they're in a state of concrete definites. Concrete or like a definite state, right? Like, when you manifest into this world, you're actually in the act of being in an evolutionary process. This happens over time. So, like, when you first um, appear in this world, you're myopic, which means you don't really have, like, a lot in your reality map, essentially, right? Like, there's not a whole lot to draw from. There's not a whole lot to conceptualize, and there's not a whole lot to, like change into will the more you become the more you understand the nature of being as a whole while people of all genders walk through life with a sliver of divine in them while eventually some people can open their minds to understand themselves as both divine and animalistic some people will remain blind to this we are born with a blindness to the divine which at some point can be eventually woken up from us however for some people it just never will Siswa also points out that the animal point of view or like the lower aspects of us or the primal is also associated with the subconscious or at least it is in Siswa uh, philosophy after reading the fruit um the sense of self and the idea of self and the evolution of the human condition began. And this kind of can read uh, the conditions of feeling shame and feeling shame for the condition of being human is surprisingly very human. Having eyes that can understand and see the unconscious. So having eyes that can actually look at a more primal aspect of ourself for what it truly is. Eating the fruit isn't really an allegory for something shameful as much as it is for the process of understanding yourself to the highest degree, which is hard, obviously. Like, it's not the easiest thing for people to do. However, it is a process that can manifest in an individual's life. So it's not even just, like, an allegory for the... um, for uh, human consciousness as a whole or how it came to be. It's more or less how um, how people can gain um, a divine connection throughout the course of their lives, right? Our minds are also, like, very biased, <laughs> which, again, makes it hard to understand yourself to the fullest degree. We often see through, like, rose-colored glasses, people often run from the truth instead of embracing it, meaning... Lots of people throughout their lives will run from the tree of evil, and this will make them fundamentally blind. Blindness and stuff is also a very big, um, is also a very big um, piece in this text as well. 
this is when thinking and providing aspects of your mind. Com- this is like, remember in Prometheus Rising when I brought up the thinker and the provider? This is where both the thinking aspect of your brain and the providing aspect of your mind can work against you because one, you can use it for manifestation and magic. However, sometimes we can use it as a shield against hard truths and as a blockage to never truly understand one's divinity. And in the process of understanding your own divinity, it is never an easy process. Chiswa goes into detail about understanding oneself via dreaming, which from, uh, what is it, advanced magic for beginners, dreaming and understanding yourself to the utmost degree is also a very important step into becoming a practitioner or a magician. Basically, dreaming is the reflection of both the conscious and the unconscious mind. She compares the subconscious and the conscience, however, she refers to And basically, she says the subconscious is like a night monster and something that people will generally try not to face or try and run away from. However, if you can confront this aspect and if you can quote unquote bite into the apple and understand this night monster or your subconscious, you will, she says you will die. However, again, death in this text is very metaphorical. When you die, you'll change as a person because you'll have better understanding of this quote-unquote night monster, also known as your subconscious, also known as the lower aspects of yourself. After that, Tiswa goes into um, feeling emotions in a a non-helpful way or just relying on instincts and mourning on fear or confrontation and not using it to... um, to have a better grasp of yourself, essentially. Mourning without change, mourning with escapism, just instead of just living in the moment or writing in the moment or letting go of the deaths that happen in every moment. The divine thing is just to let things go, but the more primal thing is to just hold on. I feel like a lot of... um, And like she says, animals uh, try and get comfort or try and get satisfaction right away, which can be like, you know, a reference to um, the Freudian id. However, um, the divine thing is to let go and to like see these deaths as they pass and to like have them impact you in a way that can grow you or that can help you grow. However, it doesn't it doesn't take you down and you don't go into like this pit of mourning or this spiral where you can never escape. She also references swimming across two channels of blindness and I generally refer to this as ego death, which a lot of people see as very symbolic where, uh, see as a very symbolic work (laughs) where you let go of aspects of yourself which you cling on to and you instead start to to embrace awareness. Let that shit go. (laughs) It's the animal condition to hold on again, and it's the greater condition to embrace death or change. Letting go and understanding why we hold on is crucial to becoming a better practitioner or magician. And reviewing the passage of mourning, (laughs) which honestly is very symbolic in a lot of respects, because I think it's essential to mourn enabled to embrace the change. However, I do believe mourning can be done in a 
unproductive way. Again, the subconscious mind is represented by the more animalistic um, properties of ourselves, and it's a very strong primal sense. Humans also generally have a very high ego when we are meant to, and we're meant to like, you know, enjoy it as we've gained a greater consciousness, but we crave, but we also crave life and like living however we are, (laughs) which is also like, you know, the sense of holding on, craving life as we know it, but we will like, we will die. We will have a lot of changes, like nothing, like to be human is to exist within a very fluid state Things are changing all the time, but sometimes you just have to look behind you to see how much things have changed. And then you can be like, holy shit, I'm still (laughs) holding on from the changes of 2016 or whatever. People are able to make, are able to pass through life without having too much distinction based on their higher or lower aspects, which... It's pretty normal and not a lot of people want to um want to really um think about it too much. People do things based on instincts and basically every human things every human thing we do we should just embrace because we need to embrace embrace both primal and divine aspects to um grow as individuals. And she also says, as humans, we chase after life. We want to live a good, blissful, stupid life. Animals are blind compared to humans, and a lot of humans are blind, especially in regards to a more, um, especially in regards to living and succumbing to more primal aspects of themselves. However, humans do feel shame for acting as animals. And sometimes, and while we do mourn the small changes in our life, we never really mourn the death of knowledge. Writing with eyes shut or dreaming rejects human vision while it shows a fall. It shows the fall towards the animal condition. The concept of human shame falls upon, <laughs> falls upon humans and only really humans. Once you bite into an apple, you fall from being an animal into being human. It also represents, um, biting into the apple also represents divine polarity in a sense because you go from something very animalistic to something very divine and we are in the balancing act of standing on the thin line between both. However, um, what she said about dreaming and changing and accepting knowledge for what it is and not really embracing shame for being human because we are, we just are human. We can't really be ashamed of how we manifest in this world. However, we can um, do things to improve our uh, spiritual and intellectual condition. I also wrote down nothing's true and everything is permitted because like a lot of this, I believe, has very strong roots in chaos magic or magic in general because it goes on to talk about changing yourself fundamentally and while again how genesis usually represents um the evolution of human consciousness it also represents the develop of your 
the development of your own human consciousness throughout your life. Seeing and acknowledging the human side while understanding the animal side, acknowledging your shortcomings free you. It's a balancing act. Eve is the seeker of knowledge and the div- and and the divine feminine and also uses creativity, knowledge, and everything to really drive home the point about um, that specific polarity. I think it's really important to note. And I think going back to the beginning about the divine feminine, where we talked about how it's often bastardized, we see... um, I feel like this text is a good representation of its nature to a sense, which I highly recommend you reading this. It talks about um, divine femininity as creating, destroying, seeking knowledge, and defending secret knowledge, which makes sense because a lot of um, a lot of entities that represent magic or higher knowledge um, can manif- they usually manifest as women. Some not always, but you know, there's a lot of um, great um, entities or magicians that manifest as women. I also love how this text talks about the duality between the animalistic parts and the divine parts. There's also an untold dialogue of like the body language, like the loving body languages of both human and animals. Like it's how animals communicate. However, like it's how animals communicate. It's how we can communicate as well. However, language and writing is like nothing has ever been said or has ever been written without the divine. We mean the connection, like humans made the connection between the divine and animals. At the end of this text, uh, Siswa talks about the divine as a placeholder and that it's in with, it, it exists within all things. And it's just, and she also compares the divine or God to a semicolon And it's like a short pause, like it exists within every short pause or in every single thing that we do. Things work in duality with the universe. Animals may never bite the apple, but they're still part of the Garden of Eden, which means that they are still, um, they still have the divine within them. However, they will always be blind to that. Human and animal duality is older than every single religion. The force that makes you right is um, the force that makes you right or that makes you talk or that sees that little shred of something inside you is the divine working. It's also very important to note that Siswa sees every individual as their own individual messiah, as their own animal, as their own god. So it's very important that, um, which I think is a very um, good read and a good message. However, she does explain things kind of tricky sometimes. Like, this is definitely something you'll have to read one or two times and ask your friends about. But I think it's definitely worth reading. I think it's a very good message for a lot of um, 
beginner occultists, beginner practitioners, beginner magicians to read this to understand that, to understand different people's um, beliefs or to believe or to see different people's um, perspective of man and magic in the world, such as you being your own messiah, you being both the animal and the divine, you know? And I think this is just explained in such a beautiful and artistic way. And it's ended by saying that we are the hidden God. I think that this is just a fantastic read. I think sometimes it can be difficult to read and translate everything she says, which again, I would definitely recommend reading this with a friend and discussing it. But I think... Seaswell writes in such a beautiful way and I really recommend every single one of one of her books and every single one of her pieces to everyone not just women or I just recommend it to everyone of all genders to read because it's so important to recognize different realities as they manifest in the world anyways that's the um the Passion According to Siswa. Sorry if it was a little all over the place. Um, yeah, if you would um, like to follow or watch any more episodes, I encourage you to do so. And I'll see you in the next one.